0: Father, I thank you that as we see the end of another year, you don't see any, any change. You know tomorrow as well as you know today. You have great and wonderful things planned for this coming year for each one of us. I ask, Father God, that you'd help us to find ways of representing your kingdom well, that our hearts would be towards you, and that we would have a a, a deeper desire to be like your son, Jesus. I ask that you would bless this time this morning, that uh, these words would be of you, and that you would transform us with the power of your word. Prepare us to serve in your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. It does feel kind of encouraging to be at the end of the year and we always look at the end of the year and then we always look forward in the next year what what's going to be and and what's possible and the the con, the difficulties and the conflicts of 2020 have, have caused a great deal of anxiety and uh, for me 2020 is is bizarre i i had to just i'll just vent a little if that's okay I started the year by rescuing my daughter in Chicago out of a um, situation, and all that time I was working on figuring out a hand that didn't work and a shoulder that didn't work um, and ended up with a bellyache. Um, I hurt every single time I preached for a while, couldn't figure that out, ended up doing hernia surgery, shoulder surgery, and carpal tunnel surgery all last year. Watched as my son set off on his first deployment in the Navy and then watched as the Navy said, no, you're not going into any any ports. And so they never went into a single port for 209 days. And we prayed a lot for him. Just sanity. Um, He was... They were going through the Red Sea someplace, and they actually got some Internet service, and he sent us a a message, and it just said, I'd give anything to see a rock. (laughs) A tree would be amazing. And then we've dealt with this COVID thing all year. And there, there were many times... Managing the church where let 's just get through this morning, and many of you probably feel the same way let 's just let 's just see if we can get through this morning let 's not worry about trying to make any decisions for tomorrow or next week let 's just get through this morning and then it's let 's just get through this afternoon that 's the way our year went for many of us there's been many of us that have been sick um, there's there 's People dealing with stuff right now, but God is still in control. And there's a certain aspect of life that we all understand, and we use the term anxiety. Um, There's a couple of people I've counseled in my ministry that had anxiety disorders, and you know, uh, one gal, if you if you put the dishes in, she she was a little. OCD. Because if you if you put the plates to the right in her cabinet just a little bit too far, she'd have an anxiety attack. That's one form of anxiety. I mean, she was just coming apart at the seams all the time. But we all have a certain level of anxiety from, from time to time. It may be because of somebody's sick. It may be because of, of a work situation. It may be Marriage situations, who knows? But we all have this idea inside of us about anxiety. And anybody who says, you know, I'm, I'm, I never get anxious, they're really lying to you. Because we all do that. We, we have times. There's a certain kind of anxiety that I want us to, to deal with as we finish our study in First in Peter. This last part, I think Peter gets very, very practical in dealing with anxiety. And he he gives us some very helpful ways to overcome anxiety. Let's read this passage from 1 Peter 5, beginning in, in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Sylvanus and our. Uh, our faithful brother for so I regard him I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God stand firm in it she who is in Babylon chosen together with you sends you greeting and so does my son mark greet one another with a kiss of love peace to be all <clears throat> peace be to all who are in Christ i've often used that last verse As an exhortation in the church, greet one another with a kiss of love. So you all get together with your masks on and give each other a kiss. (laughs) As Peter begins dealing with anxiety, he begins with the idea of humility because humility towards God and other people is, is crucial to understanding how to deal with anxiety. The word humility that we use in English. It comes from a Greek word that literally means to bring low. And and the idea was was even bowing to the ground. And it also had the idea of of a lowliness of mind or self-abasement and a willingness to serve in the lowest of tasks. That's a very important concept. And Jesus gives us a fantastic example of this when he was with his disciples. This is from John 13. "'Jesus, knowing knowing that the Father "'had given all things into his hands "'and that he had come forth from God "'and was going back to God, "'rose from supper and laid aside his garments "'and taking a towel, he girded himself about. "'Then he poured water into the basin "'and began to wash the disciples' feet "'and to wipe them with the towel "'with which he was girded. "'And so he came to Simon Peter. "'He said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet?' Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. The reason this is important for us is the humility that Jesus displays. Washing of feet is in that time period, in that culture, that was one of the lowest, most dishonorable tasks that was, that was usually done by the most subordinate of household slaves. And you can imagine what that must have been like. You're walking around, you know, sandals were, were the best shoes you, you, you could find. Most people, that's all they had. There would be a lot of people who just ran around barefoot. And the practice was you come in and you want to get those, those feet clean because you would recline at a meal. So your feet are going to be right next to somebody. So when you'd come in, especially for a meal, you'd, you'd get your feet washed. How humiliating is that? None of us do that, right? Any, anybody do that when you come home? The, he comes home from work and you wash his feet? Yeah, right. Every night. It's not happening. So that cultural thing, we have to grasp that. And it was extremely dishonorable. Jesus, the Messiah, the creator of the universe, lowers himself to do this unpleasant task of a slave to demonstrate the importance of humility. The, the, the reason this is important is if you, if you look at the opposites. And sometimes when you study Scripture, it's important for you to take a word or a phrase and look at it in, the, in, in one light and then, then figure out what would be the opposite of that because that helps us to understand what God's getting at. And the opposite of humility is pride. And, and God hates pride. He hates pride because, because it opposes God's sovereignty. Anytime we operate in an area of pride, we are opposing God's sovereignty. It also is, it, it diminishes God's glory. And I believe that pride is a, is a very strong example of idolatry. Pride and idolatry, they go together. One of the reasons I go there and the reason I, 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 I strike it pride very hard in my life and in people I work with is because if you look at the story in Isaiah, for example, of Lucifer, he was filled with pride when he sought to be like God. Listen to these words from Isaiah 14, verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north and I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. Satan's pride, it was his pride, his desire to be like God, equal to God or even better than God that caused him to be forced out of heaven. It was his pride. When we work to get at the root of, of any sin, you, you start filtering out your sin, you could go, well, you know, um, it, maybe it's lust. And you start working through lust, and, and you start, well, what, what's the cause? What's the cause? And, and you work through it, and you filter it down to the root. And you do that with any sin, you will find that at the root of any sin is a form of pride. I'm convinced of that because when we sin, we're saying we have a better way than God does. A prideful heart values his or her plans and ideas above God. So pride is the foundation of all sin. When a a person is prideful, they're like Lucifer and are trying to make themselves like God. This only opens us up as humans, in particular, to anxiety. Anytime anyone opposes God in this form, in this method, by by being prideful, is going to find themselves with a lot of anxiety. Part of that is because God opposes it. Uh, Peter quotes uh, um, Proverbs 3.34, "...for God is opposed to the proud." but gives grace to the humble. Another proverb teaches this. This is 16, 18, and 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Humility then becomes very, very important for us in dealing with anxiety. It's necessary to overcome anxiety, to be humble, because without a humble attitude towards God, we are unlikely to cast, like Peter says, our anxiety on God. And the first place that we go to deal with anxiety is our humility towards God. It's a God-man-woman issue. Yes, we should be Humble to our brothers and sisters, and that's part of this as well. But primarily, this humility needs to be something that is shown to God. When we fail, when we fail to bow to God's sovereign greatness, goodness, and mercy, we remain in control. And in our own strength, we, we attempt to overcome the things in our life, and we, we, we try to overcome even our anxiety that way. really the end result at least in my life is that just creates more anxiety. Have you ever done that, you know? Have you ever worried yourself? I remember somebody said, "Well, pastor, I got to meet with you." And it sounded that way. You know, it sounded like, "Oh, here we go. Can we can we talk, you know, and we set up a date and I already knew that there were some issues that this person was dealing with concerning the church and the anxiety went up. And instead of trusting God that he's in control, that this is a person who believes in Jesus, this is, this is one of his, this is, this is a situation that he has total control over, I started down the path of anxiety. And then I went, oh man, I'm being really anxious about that. So then I got really anxious about being anxious and tried to do something to solve the anxiety. And I did that all without praying, without seeking him. And I just got more and more anxious. I lost three nights of sleep. The person comes into the office, sits down, and I'm just, I'm just coming apart with anxiety over this, this silly meeting. What's it about? I just, I just wanted to know if, if it would be all right if I taught Sunday school. I lost sleep over that. I had all this anxiety over somebody wanting to do something that was for the body of Christ and really good. Where would I go wrong? I tried to approach my anxiety without going to God. Doing it on my own strength. When we do it on our own strength, it only causes more anxiety. In verse 7, back in 1 in, in Peter, he tells us that we are to be casting our anxieties on him. And there's, there's some grammar things there. It, 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 could, it could also say that we are to cast, meaning one time. Okay, and that's important, but casting, that word there, it's very important for us to grasp when we start dealing with anxiety. Casting is from a Greek term that literally means to throw or cast upon. And to help you understand what this means and how it relates to anxiety, we look for another place in Scripture where it's used, and the same term is used in the same way, the same verb form and everything, in Luke 19.35. You familiar with that passage? That's when Jesus is getting ready to come into Jerusalem, and the disciples have gotten the colt, And they throw garments onto the colt for Jesus to sit on. When they throw that blanket, that wrap, whatever, onto the colt, that's casting. That's the same word. So here's where my mind goes for me. I, I can't tell you how many times I've used this in my life. Not enough, because there's days I have terrible anxiety. The idea I like to use is of a pack horse. How many here, is it, have, have you ever packed a pack horse? Some of you have actually done it, okay? You know, so you, what's the first thing you cast on? You put a blanket on, you put the pad on, right? And, and then, then there's something else that's cast on, and that's, that's the cross buck, and, and that's all attached. And then, and then you pile whatever on in the panniers, you, you fill it up. And I use this imagery to help me understand that I take my burdens, whatever those are that are are causing the anxiety. I can just label them my anxieties. And I put them on Jesus. Somebody said, well, you're lowering Jesus to a pack animal? Well, yeah, actually, I am. Because he says so. He says to cast them on whom? Him. He can easily carry whatever. He's the creator of the universe. He has got control over every molecule that's in existence. And you think that it's a problem for you to take your trouble and put it on him? It's a piece of cake for him. He can easily deal with it. And he already knows how to deal with each one of your troubles and all of your anxiety. This idea of the pack animal and, and casting those things on there. Now, i got to tell you, I do have one problem with this imagery because I can, I can sometimes go to God and I'm, I'm in prayer and I'm praying about a situation that I'm all anxious about and I, I can see myself putting the, the situation on Jesus and I feel really good. And then I take it off and try to carry it. And I put it back on. I feel pretty good. And then I take it back off. And there's times when I just... I just that's, that's part of the struggle. It's just like, come on. As we go through these kinds of things, the longer we can leave it there, that's, a, that's an indicator of our maturity. I'm going to give it to Jesus. This whole idea of letting him carry whatever we're struggling with becomes a, a huge part in, in seeing the connection between humility and casting our cares. When we're humble towards God, we're willing to say, you can do it and you can do it far better than I can. So I'm going to cast it on you. The psalmist says this, Psalms 55:22. cast your burden on the Lord. And he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. If you take it back off and you carry it yourself, you're shaken. You're, you're back into anxiety. This psalmist says, Cast your burden on the Lord. So God is telling us, Do this. It's an act of humility. Because he's so much greater. It's a recognizing that God cares for us. God cares for you. He cares deeply for those who choose to follow him. If you're here and, you, and you're following Jesus, he cares for you. And I think that our anxiety very often crops up because on the one hand we go, yeah, I know God cares for me. But on the other hand, I'm going to do it myself because I don't want to bother God or I forget and I want to do it my own way. And we we slip back into that pride. And God's there all the time going, "I care for you. I'm so great and mighty and awesome and powerful that I want to take care of everything in your life for you." God cares for us. He made this pretty clear, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Matthew six, twenty-five. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink for your body nor <clears throat> for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom. And His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Is there anything in your life that God does not understand? I asked a youth group that once, and a very bright young man in the front row said, Pastor Bill, uh, does that mean he knows how to rescue all of my data I lost when my hard drive broke? You know, what do we do with that? You know, scripture and verse for a burned up hard drive? (laughs) What's the answer? Yeah, he does. Can he miraculously heal the hard drive? Well, yeah, God can do that. Is that what he's going to do? No. So how does he deal with everyday things? He deals with those things by helping us understand that there's something far greater than this life. And there's something far greater than all of the little things that we get so anxious about. What's greater? Him. The people who walk in peace are the people who understand who he is. So. So some of what this takes us to is then a question. How do we place our anxiety on God? How do we actually do this? And this, I tried to make this more complicated because then you'd be more impressed. Because this is one of those places where I go when I preach and I go, that's just so simple. Why do we miss it? It's simple. How do you do it? How do you cast your anxiety on, on Jesus? How do you let him carry it? You trust Him. You trust Him. What does that mean? We believe what He has promised, and we respond obedient to the command that God has given in this passage and in other passages in Scripture. The command here is to cast our cares on Him, and that command is also a promise. The command is cast your cares on Him. The promise is... I'll carry the load for you. So you have a command and a promise. Trust. Paul then helps us with this because he connects casting and anxiety with prayer. And he does this in Philippians 4, 6. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? will give you peace. So the answer answer is prayer. Casting our anxiety on Jesus is done through prayer. Our faith in his ability to keep us is expressed in our prayer. So often we get this idea that prayer is like going to a vending machine. I used to love to go down to the corner gas station down the street from us and and you'd take your nickel in and, and, and you could still get candy bars for a nickel. Ralph was pretty generous. And it was a really cool vending machine. Half the fun was watching this thing work. had this conveyor belt contraption in there and everything. And I remember going down and you got your nickel and you'd stick the nickel in and you'd you'd let it turn until you saw what you wanted and then you'd push a button and out it would come. Whenever I think of a vending machine, that's what I think of. I think we also think that way about prayer. We're going to go to prayer and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to ask God for, I'm going to ask God for the new sander I need in my shop. I'm going to ask for stuff. We miss it. What's more important? I want to ask God to help me through today. I want God to help me with the anxiety. Not, he, not because I want him to do give me something else. I want a a deeper relationship with Him. The answer to anxiety is Him. The answer to anxiety is knowing Him, spending time with Him, communicating with Him. It's just popped into my head. There's a gal in, in the church that I went to when I was first ordained and her name was Polly. Polly is with Jesus. And Pauly was a German woman. Um, She was about 5'8 and weighed about 350. And and she was a stitch. If you got her laughing, she'd just laugh and everything would shake. That woman knew how to pray. She is by far the greatest prayer warrior I've ever been around. When she'd pray, man, people ducked. It was so amazing. And people would come to her and say, you know, I'm really struggling with my kids. And she'd go, let's pray. She didn't listen to stories. She didn't want you to tell all the details. She didn't want to know. She wanted to talk to God. She wanted to go to Jesus. And she would start praying like nobody I've ever been around. She was also a woman who just didn't ever seem to be anxious. Nothing ever seemed to bother her. The car quit. Didn't matter. Her husband's sick. Didn't matter. Nothing seemed to ever bother her. Because every time anything would occur in life, she had this this trained ability to just go to Jesus. Prayer. Hey, she's praying all the time. There's some other really funny stories about her. I'll tell you some other time, but... The answer to anxiety then is prayer. So there's also this idea that helps us that's connected with prayer. Do we believe that God actually can take care of anything that we have? Later in Philippians 4, Paul says in 419, "...and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus." Do we really believe that? Or is that just something that works really good for a vinyl decoration on our walls? Makes a good card. God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Really? What could He not provide you? Well, He's not going to provide you with with something that's going to harm you. So, so when we pray, God's got everything available. He's got the whole universe, and He's got control over everything. So when we go to Him, we've got the best source. Peter goes on, 1 Peter 5.8. It's another command. He says, be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Sober spirit means a mind that is not influenced by the things of the world. Sobriety, you know, we can think of sobriety as it relates to alcohol, and and the whole idea that the Bible presents about that is when you you are overcome with alcohol, when you're drunk, the alcohol is what's influencing you. Those of us who have drunk too much know that. The sobriety that Peter is talking about is that we are not influenced by the world, but we are set on the things of heaven. Our sobriety is because we are thinking on and are consumed with the things of God and the influence of the indwelling spirit produces this sobriety and a clarity of thought. You want really clear thinking on whatever anxiety you're in? Then you need to have the Holy Spirit influencing you. A sober spirit, he connects with being alert. And being alert means to stay awake, to keep watching. This is, this is the idea that, he, that Jesus presented in the Garden of Gethsemane. He warns his disciples. Matthew 26, 41. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Keep watching. Sobriety and being alert. So the reason that we're to watch, the reason that all of these things up to this point in chapter 5 of 1 Peter go together is verse 8. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to, to be devoured. Adversary in that verse is a technical term. It was used in legal settings for a legal opponent. So we're in a legal battle. We're also in a spiritual battle. And this spiritual battle against this adversary is simple. And it's linked to casting our anxiety on God and our humility. Satan does not want you to cast your anxiety on Jesus. He wants you to try to carry it yourself and fail. Because that's when you will go, God doesn't meet my needs. The resisting, then, that Peter talks about in this battle, the resisting is our faith. Faith in what God has done, who He is, and what He is capable of. Just for a moment, let your mind wander just a little bit in the positive idea of what is possible for God to do. Last I checked, nothing's impossible for Him. This faith comes from knowing God's word. Romans 10:17. So faith comes by from hearing and and hearing by the word of God. If you want to have the kind of faith that helps you be able to cast your anxiety, then you got to go to scripture. You got to fill yourself with scripture. You want to have a prayer life like Paulie and and other great warriors of the faith, you want your prayer life to really be beneficial, then you got to be in the word. Satan or his demons oppose you. That's a given. They don't want you to succeed. Your weapons against them is your faith. Faith based on the knowledge of scripture. And when we when we respond to his war, when he he comes after us or his demons, when we respond with scripture based faith, he has no response. One pastor I had years, I mean, decades ago. It was one of my first pastors. He said it this way. Scripture is like the tool that the dentist uses to pull teeth. I always think of vice grips, but... Y'all had the tooth pulled? Okay, there's a special tool that a dentist uses to get a hold of a tooth and yank it out of your mouth, Right? So, so scripture is like that tool. The believer speaks scripture and the vicious teeth of the lion are removed and all he has is sore gums. He can whisper all he wants, and it's the mumbo. He has no power. It's done. His viciousness has been removed. Resist means to take a stand. So the word resist, stand against something. It comes from the Greek steros, and it means solid. So you're standing against, what are you standing on? You're standing on something solid, that you, you stand on something so solid that the enemy, this, that Satan and his demons can come against you, but your word based on scripture, your word of faith then, the revealed word of God in you repels him. He can't handle it. Now Peter goes on, and this is another thread that you'll see throughout this entire book, and I I hope you've seen this, is that he, he reminds us that suffering is allowed by God as a part of God's plan to perfect our faith and bring us greater and greater endurance. God allows us into situations where we might have anxiety, where we might struggle simply because he wants us to endure, he wants us to resist, he wants us to cast our burdens on him. This helps with anxiety as well when we realize God is using whatever in our situation, whatever our anxiety, to bring us closer to him, to bring a stronger faith. And he's also preparing us for some future purpose. I want you to get it inside of you that when when we go to be with Jesus and we spend all of eternity with Jesus, we aren't just going to be sitting around in a church service or on a white cloud playing a harp. Remove that kind of thinking because there is a purpose. You have a purpose. When Adam and Eve were created, they were placed in the garden with a purpose. They had something to do. God is preparing you for whatever that will be. In the future. In verse 10, we're reminded of what the future is for every believer. First, we're reminded of the nature of God, grace. He's gracious. He gives unmerited favor to to those who love Him. But His very nature is grace. He is grace. In His grace, every believer is called to His eternal glory this glory is 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 described in paul by paul in philippians 3 verse 11 in order that i may attain to the resurrection from the dead not that i have already obtained it or have already become perfect but i press on so that i may lay hold of that which for also for sorry may lay hold of that for which also i was laid hold of by christ jesus Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in God, in Christ Jesus. What are we called to? Being like Jesus, being with Him, being with God. John describes it this way, 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what, what, what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has his hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. That's what we're called to. The glory that each believer is called to is to eternally be like Jesus. Then Peter ends this part of this fabulous letter with a statement, and then he follows with just the greetings of the conclusion. But this last line is awesome, and it and it kind of kind of finishes and gives us a finality to all of the the commands and all of the things that that God has given us in this letter to Him. Being Jesus. To to Jesus be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you for the work of your Son. I thank you that we can come before you. We can cast our, our burdens on you. And that's a good thing. Holy Spirit, stir us up that we would go through the coming days and years of our life, whatever you have planned for us, that we would be able to to not be filled with anxiety. Increase our understanding of the Word. Increase our understanding of what the revelation is that you've given to us, and that that would be where we live. Father, help us by your power and by your might Thank you for the grace that we have and we've been given. Thank you, Jesus, for the work on the cross that allows us to be in the presence of God for all of eternity and allows us to stand upon something solid and unmovable. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen.